This is Curtis Schoon with Schoon TV, episode number three, with special guest Dr. Umar Johnson. Brother Umar. Yes, sir. You've been in uh, Africa recently. Yes, sir. Um, you got a lot of ties over there in Africa. Yes, sir. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Certainly. For the past six years, I've been taking a group tour to Africa every summer. Mm-hmm. Last week of July, first week in August. It is part of my initiative to pan-Africanize the consciousness of American Africans. So this past summer, or should I say last week, we were in Ghana for the 400 year of return festivities. The president of Ghana declared 2019 the year of return in honor and commemoration of the commencement of the transatlantic slave trade that brought us to America beginning in 1619. And now next week, Wednesday, uh, if you count from sunrise, Tuesday, if you count from the date of arrival, 1619 to 2019 will be 400 years. So this year was particularly special in terms of traveling to Ghana. Uh, I've been everywhere before, but it had a special spiritual flavor to it this time. And nearly everyone in my group, it was their first time going to the continent. So it was very special. Good good stuff. And you mentioned Pan-Africanism. Yes, sir. Uh, I've heard you describe yourself as the prince of Pan-Africanism. Yes, sir. Now, What is Pan-Africanism for people who don't know, and why is that important to black Americans? That's an excellent question. What is Pan-Africanism, especially given the fact that yesterday we celebrated the 132nd return of two of the greatest Pan-Africanists, one, the most honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, who was the father of black nationalism, the greatest Pan-Africanist to have ever lived. Yesterday was his solar return. 132 years. And then we also celebrated the solar return of the great Negus, the honorable emperor Menelik II, who defeated the Italians in the Battle of Ottawa, 1896, keeping Ethiopia an independent, sovereign African nation. So both of them were born on August the 17th. One, uh, 1844, was Menelik II's arrival from the ancestors, and the Honorable Marcus Garvey was 1887, but both of them August the 17th. I can sum up Pan-Africanism in three points. The first principle of Pan-Africanism, all African people are members of the same family. Whether you are in Brazil, whether you are in Washington, D.C., whether you are in Nigeria, Australia, Cuba, Puerto Rico, whether you are Muslim, Christian, Catholic, Jehovah Witness, whether you light skin, brown skin, dark skin, uh, regardless of whether you speak Ebonics or Ebo or Portuguese or Zulu or Tweet, we are all members of the same family and we identify with the African family before we identify with any other group membership that we belong to. So we're never Muslims who happen to be Africans. We're Africans who happen to be Muslims. The African comes first. We're never Christians who happen to be Africans. We're Africans who happen to be Christians. And that's because God made you an African. You chose your religion. You could give it up tomorrow. You can never give up being African. The second principle of Pan-Africanism is international solidarity. We believe that the struggle of African people globally is intimately connect up, connected with the struggle of African people all across the world. So we would say the reason the black man in America has not made more progress is because his struggle isn't linked up with the black man in Jamaica or the black man in London or the black man in Asia or the black man in Africa. It's isolated. 
The struggle in the Caribbean, isolated. The struggle in Europe, isolated. The struggle in Africa, isolated. But the enemy is one, but we are not at one. So Pan-Africanism is about oneness of purpose and agenda. And the third principle of Pan-Africanism is, as Africa goes, so goes all of African children. The Honorable Marcus Garvey said, a strong man is strong everywhere. I've spoken on every continent except Australia. Wherever I go, the Chinese are respected and they are politically and economically strong. Wherever I go, the European Jew is respected and they are politically and economically strong. Wherever I go, the East Indian is respected and politically and economically strong. But wherever I go, including Africa, the black man is politically and economically weak disrespected and docile. Why is that? Because the mother continent ain't strong. If we want to get strong, we got to make the mother strong. How many people have you seen get respect without making sure their mother get the respect first? You know, you raise an interesting point about the communities that you see as strong mm-hmm. and, and where we are deficient. Um, my personal opinion is that a strong man is the foundation of a strong family. Yes, sir. And a strong family is the foundation of a strong community. And a strong community is the foundation of a strong nation. What happened to the black man? Because ultimately, I think we have to take ownership for the condition of our, of, of our community. I agree. We must take ownership. We can look at the beginning of the destruction of black masculinity and we can choose as a starting point because you can go back from the very beginning slavery itself was the emasculization of the black male but i'm going to start with 1970 and the reason i'm going to start with 1970 is because up until 1970 most black families had two parents there's a myth that slavery destroyed the black family That is a lie. We remain married through slavery. Even under the punishment of death and the whip, we remained married. It wasn't until 1970 that you see the rise of the single black female headed household. What happened in 1970 to destabilize the two parent balance of the black home? They economically castrated the black male. Coming out of the civil rights struggles of the 1960s, the American power structure said in order to crush black power, in order to crush civil rights, we have to crush the unapologetically African alpha males control and leadership of the black community. Because most of our grassroots organizations were not funded by the government because they opposed the government. They were funded by black men who owned their own businesses and had skills that paid the bills. So the first thing they did in 1970, after they assassinated Dr. King two years prior, is they went into the inner cities and they did two things, two weapons of economic destruction. One, they went into the high schools and took out all of the trade-based industrial training programs. Up until 1970, They were not sending everybody to college. Up until 1970, you could live a decent life as a plumber, an electrician, an HVAC, a welder, an auto mechanic. That's how we took care of our families back then. So the power structure said, we're taking all these programs out of the high school because these programs are allowing black men to operate their own business. And if they don't work for us, we cannot control them. So they took all the programs out 
the skills that pay the bills and started sending everyone off to college. The second thing they did was they deindustrialized the inner city. When you walk through Philadelphia, which is my hometown, you walk through Detroit, Chicago, these used to be industrial hubs. Now all you see is abandoned buildings, which ironically have been transformed into prisons. So the same places that used to keep us out of jail by giving us work are now used to keep us in jail. So they took all the jobs out the inner city in 1970. 1980, the CIA drops off the crack cocaine. 1990, Bill Clinton drops off the federal crime bill, the most far-reaching and comprehensive crime bill in more than 50 years, which did three things. Number one, mandatory minimum sentencing for nonviolent drug-related offenses. Number two, three strikes in your out. Three federal felonies and you go to jail for the rest of your life. And number three, it criminalized child support, which brought any man with a child who was not married to the mother under the supervision of the criminal justice system. That's how they did this. Criminals are not born. They are made. And the most effective weapon of emasculization of the black male is the mass incarceration of the black male. Because once you get a felony on your record, you're economically crippled. It is almost impossible to get a job as a felon. So once you make the black male economically irrelevant to the black woman, I'm going to say it again. Make the black male economically irrelevant to the black woman. The black man is the only man in America who is out earned and out educated by his woman. No other man in this country is out-earned or out-educated by his woman. There could be no psychological mm -hmm. castration without the economic castration because the man's first responsibility is to protect and provide. Right. You know, you, you said a whole lot there, and there's a lot to unpack, and I'm going to try mm -hmm. to break it down one by one so the listeners and viewers yes, sir. Could, could really absorb what you said because I'm in agreement with you. Let me just say that. Yes, sir. All right, now. First thing first, 1970, this is post-civil rights era. Yes. Now, you, you identified the U.S. government, but which wing of the government? Is it not the liberal, the white liberals mm -hmm. and the Democratic Party who pushed these policies that undermined the black man? Without question. One of our greatest political misunderstandings as a people is the fact that we do a lot of false dichotomy creation when it comes to left-wing, right-wing European politics. In other words, we create these false narratives that the Democrats are for black people and the Republicans are not, as if they're two different teams. When it comes to black people, there's only one agenda, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. They believe the exact same thing with regard to what needs to be done to us. There is no difference there. I see the same thing when I look at this Donald Trump, President Trump, President Obama dichotomy, where Trump is the enemy of black people and President Obama was the savior. But last time I checked, President Obama didn't pass a single law for black people. Last time I checked, President Obama did absolutely nothing about the police genocide of unarmed black people in this country during his eight years in office. Last time I checked, when Barack Obama became president, black people were the priority minority. And for the first time in 400 years, because of Obama's uh, 
neglect of black people. For the first time in 400 years, we are no longer the priority minority. We are at the bottom of the minority list. You know, again, I'm going to try to keep up. You, you spoke on the emasculation of the black man. How do you feel that emasculation is compounded with the introduction of feminism to the black woman? Feminism was created by the CIA. Feminism was created by the CIA. The woman who was the main proponent of feminism. Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem was a CIA agent, and the CIA financed Gloria Steinem's magazine. I forget the Us. first. The Us magazine yeah. was financed by the CIA. I, I believe it was Us. I'm, it I'm might not, have been Us. Yeah. Regardless yeah, of the yeah, name, I know what you're her talking publication about. was financed by the CIA. This is documented, and it was proven. And why did the CIA introduce feminism? The CIA introduced it introduced feminism to empower the black female and to disempower the black male. See, the empowerment of our sisters is not an evil. Her being more educated than the black man is not necessarily an evil. Her bringing home more pay than the black man is not necessarily an evil. It is the interpretation she makes with regard to why she out earns her mate. It's the interpretation she makes to why she out educates her mate. It's not until the black woman swallows the American power structure's narrative as to why the black male is disenfranchised does it become a problem. Because if my wife out earns me and out educates me, that's not an issue if she can still respect my manhood. But because we live in a capitalist empire, your worth as a male is automatically translated into your take home pay. So they look at what is your man worth? How much does he bring home? They don't look at all the other ingredients that make a strong black male. We get reduced to a dollar. And why is that ironic? Because when we first showed up in Jamestown, Virginia, on August the 20th of 1619, we were auctioned off. And our worth as men was determined based on our what? Physical output. Our worth in the NBA today is determined by what? Our physical output. Our worth in the NFL today is determined by what? Our physical output. And unfortunately, our worth to black woman today is determined by our physical output. How much can you bring home? You know, the, the attack on the black man has been so strong. And it's coming from so many directions that there, there seems to be a shortage of masculine black men in the media. And even when they, they seemingly are masculine, they have to toe the line of this narrative that ultimately undermines us. For, for instance, when we turn on the television, we see people like Don Lemon, who's pushing a narrative on CNN. Don Lemon is an openly gay black man who, by the way, has a white husband. Mm -hmm. can, can somebody like Don Lemon be the voice of the black struggle? It, it's, it's, regardless of his sexuality, I'm not, we're not going to judge him on that. Mm -hmm. Can he be loyal to the black cause 
with a white spouse? Excellent question. I want to back up. Just as the CIA financed feminism, the CIA also financed LBGTism. Up until 1973-1974, homosexuality was considered a mental illness for all of American history. For all of American history. It was not a coincidence that it was depathologized by the American Psychiatric Association in the early 70s. This was in direct response to the agenda to destroy black civil rights. Let us be clear. Dr. King was a genius because Dr. King was able to keep the black agenda at the forefront of American public discussion. No other black leader since King, regardless of what people think of him, was able to keep the black agenda at the forefront of American public discussion. King did that. In order to crush the black power movement, they had to find another movement to replace it. Feminism has helped to push the black agenda to the side. LBGTism has helped to push the black agenda to the side. And as you said, I love all my brothers and sisters. Gay, straight, whatever box you in, you still family. But I can agree to disagree with your behavior if it contradicts the best interests of our community. The question asked, can Don Lemon or any other prominent homosexual African-American brother or African-American lesbian sister be the forefront of the black movement for liberation? My answer is no. And the reason my answer is no is twofold. Number one. The LBGT movement was created to crush and eclipse the black agenda. So if you belong and identify publicly and proudly with the movement that is a government creation to crush the authenticity of the black liberation struggle, how can you serve two masters? That doesn't mean you can't be used or cannot work for the best interests of your people, but you cannot lead it because that means you run the risk of co-opting our best interests for the best interests of the LBGT platform. So no, you can't. And second, more importantly for me, black children look up to us as spokespersons. So when a black boy looks up to a homosexual black male, for me, there's a little bit of a problem in that because I want him to see in manhood the need to love a black woman. And if he sees a black man loving another male, then if that man is his role model, he might begin to accept and even explore the type of relationship that's being role modeled for him. So for us to protect our community, where only one out of every four black women gets married, they're the last married and the first divorced. Most black women will never get a husband. Most of our children are doomed to live their childhood in single parenting homes. If we want to kill that, then there's no way we can validate homosexuality as a relationship option in the black community. Now, you know, I, I became, I was made aware of something during the making of my film, Black, White, and Blue, that the Mattachine Society, the first gay organization mm -hmm. in America, had an objective to make the gays, the LGBT, the new minority. Exactly. And, uh, in 1965, this was their, their plan. Mm -hmm. And when observing what's going on today, 
I would say that that plan is pretty much successful because I hear talk of gay reparations. Yes. There's H.R. 5, which is expanding the mm-hmm. Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. to include yes. gays. Which was not the original intent of the Civil Rights Bill. Dr. King is turning in his grave. Rosa Parks is turning in her grave. Kwame Ture Stokely Carmichael is turning in his grave. H. Rat Brown is probably spinning around in prison right now. Free H. Rat Brown, Jamil Alamine, by the way. We cannot forget him. Free Mamiya, Russell Schultz, and all political prisoners. But here's what happened. When the Civil Rights Bill was being pushed through Congress, the conservatives said, we're not signing this. Because in America, you don't make laws just for black people. If you want this Civil Rights Bill to become a law, you're going to do two things. You're going to add the word gender. And you're going to add the word sexual orientation or the concept, rather. So before the civil rights bill was signed into law, gender was included as a protected category and sexual orientation was included as a protected category. This is 64. This is 64. Dr. King had no idea. Core, SNCC, SCLC, they had no idea that the addition of those two words was going to end up allowing the transformation of that bill as something that was to benefit black people that has now benefited white women and homosexuals significantly more than the people who died and shed blood for that law. That's why I remain unapologetically African. That's why when people say, Dr. Umar, can't we join hands with the Latinos? No, we can't. Because our history shows us that whenever we link up with another group or whenever we fight with another group at the end of the day, and usually because those other groups are more organized than we are, we end up getting exploited and they benefit more from agendas and initiatives that we created and died for. Uh Uh-uh. It must be all black. It must be unapologetically black and it must be authentically black or I will have nothing to do with it. Ooh, bro. You know, um, again, going back to the 60s and the Civil Rights Act integration, was integration a mistake? Integration was a mistake, but integration was not a necessity. Remember, the federal government desegregated. It never integrated. The public schools were desegregated. They were never integrated. Desegregation is a legal step where you remove all of the legal and political barriers to access. In other words, if you're not allowed to uh, uh, live in my neighborhood, I desegregate my neighborhood for you. Do I invite you in? No. Do I force you to come? No, I simply say there are no longer any legal barriers to you moving into my neighborhood. But I'm not going to do anything to guarantee your participation. They didn't force us to give up our independent black schools. They didn't force us to give up our independent black hospitals. They didn't force us to give up our independent black supermarkets. They didn't force us to give up our independent black communities. We gave them up voluntarily because deep down in the psyche of the American Negro is an inferiority complex that says in order for you to truly be successful and truly validate your womanhood or manhood, you have to be accepted by white people. That's why we integrated. Dr. King was dead before integration fully came, but we make him the scapegoat. Don't blame Dr. King. Blame us. We couldn't wait to live next door to white folks. Is that the same psychology that's behind every single member of the Black Caucus <laughs> uh, signing off on H.R. 5, the Equality Act? 
<laughs> you just explained, you detailed how mm -hmm. it undermined our power, our masculinity, and everything to promote these agendas. Why are all the black politicians on board? Why is it required for every single black celebrity who receives big endorsement deals or whatever to be pro these agendas and narratives? I'm going to defend the Black Caucus, and then I'm going to criticize the Black Caucus. Okay. First, let me give them the defense. It is hard to hold your elected officials accountable for their political behavior when you do not financially empower them. Black people do not, in a systematic way, financially support our elected representatives. The average black Democrat has to go to the white Democratic Party to get their campaign financed. He, the hand that pays, is the hand that rules. So in their defense, they're going to do whatever the gays tell them to do. They're going to do whatever the whites tell them to do. They're going to do whatever the Latinos tell them to do because the gays are very well financed. The Latinos are very well financed. The immigrants are very well financed. Europeans are very well financed. And how much organized money are they getting from their own people? Almost none. So until we start our own political action committees, until we create our own lobbying circles to go to Capitol Hill and come here to D.C. and force them to do right by us, how can I hold them accountable when if they gave up the gay money, gave up the Latino money, gave up the immigrant money, gave up the Mexican money, gave up the white money. Is black America organized financially enough to step in and fill that economic void? That's what I say in their defense. Let, let, let me yes. interject briefly yes. because I had some experience. Uh, you, you may not be aware of this, but when Coleman Young mm -hmm. Jr., the second, Detroit. ran against Mike Duggan, mm -hmm. the first white mayor since his father. Yes. I was his number one backer, mm. right? I even backed him when he ran for Congress. And that campaign was a disgrace because I don't understand how that mayor won over him. Well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, it speaks to a lot of things that you just yes. described. I, I, I was not aware of how politics mm. really worked until I got involved in that campaign. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I want to say on record here for the black people listening is that it's a shame that we even have to provide transportation and food to the polls for you to mm. vote in your own interest. Ooh. And, and I, I've experienced this firsthand. Not only do we have to advocate for you, have to go in our own pockets for you, we have to get transportation to get you to the poll. Mm. That mindset got to stop. It does. Mm-hmm. And I have to defend black people and criticize <laughs> them, too. But first, criticize them going back to the caucus. CBC, yes, yeah, my yeah. criticism of the Congressional Black Caucuses a few years ago, and you're mm -hmm. probably aware of this, they rewrote their mission statement, the okay. Congressional Black Caucus, mm -hmm. to say that we no longer only speak for black people. We speak for everybody. That, in their lies, the essential political quagmire of the American Negro. We have almost no mainstream organization that is dedicating exclusively to our improvement. Look at the Chinese. Their organizations are about Chinese people. They're not for everybody. Look at the European Jews. Their organizations are for European Jews, not everybody. 
Look at the Latinos. Their organizations are for Latinos. La Raza. But go to the NAACP. Mm. NAACP is for everybody. Go to the Congressional Black Caucus. They're for everybody. Go to the Urban League. They're for everybody. I love our black Greek fraternities and sororities and the work that they've done. But guess what? They're for everybody, too. Every mainstream black organization is multicultural, but you can hardly find a multicultural organization amongst another ethnic national group. That's our problem. Because we are uncomfortable, we are anxious, and we have a lack of faith in ourselves as African. Remember when you was a child and you wanted to join a football team, a basketball team? You always went to the winning team. The losing team, even if it was your neighborhood, you would walk 20 blocks to play for the winning team. Most Latinos know that they are African. Most Dominicans know that they are African. But guess what? Until Africans start winning, I'm not identifying with that team. You see, that's what's going on. Yeah. That's why you get black people run around and say, I got Indian in me. Or I'm half Irish. I'm half Jew. They won't even let you in the church. But you brag about how you have this and half that. Why do black people get so excited when they find out they got a little bit of white in them? But when white people find out they got a little bit of black, they keep it quiet. We broadcast that I'm part native and part European. You know why? Because we're not proud to be black. So the minute we find out we got something else in us, it becomes a badge of pride because being an African has been a burden and not a blessing to most of us. But the Honorable Marcus Garvey said it best. He said the white man has made being black a crime. I will make it a blessing. We have to sell the African back to himself. Now, going to the black voter. I criticize the black voter that. We need to be organized and we need to finance our candidates. But on the flip side, we have been disappointed by black elected officials for so long that I cannot criticize a black person for not getting out and voting because they have been through it over and over and have rarely gotten any results. However, I would tell them you can change this overnight. The next time you find a black man or woman who you want to represent you politically, fund them, fund them. Don't tell Dr. Umar Johnson, run for mayor of Philadelphia, but we're not going to fund you because that means I'm going to end up selling you out because the people who pay me, the white banks, Walmart, the auto mall. You see, if, if I'm being financed by the white giants of capitalism, I'm going to have to carry their agenda. If you want to keep a black politician loyal to you, you must finance him or get out the game. OK, now. There's so much here. Mm-hmm. You mentioned. Marcus Garvey a few times. A man I admire myself because considering the period that he lived in Mm. and the things he attempted. Mm. And accomplished. And accomplished, yeah. His bravery Mm -hmm. is like, I I don't see anything on that level Mm -hmm. today. Never before, never again. The Honorable Marcus Garvey was the leader and builder of the largest black organization in modern history. He is the only black leader to lead a 15 million man and woman organization. You can take every black political organization in America today and you don't get the 15 million that Garvey organized. He's the only leader who we can say was leader of the African race. No other leader was leader of the race. Marcus Garvey was leader in Africa. He was leader in Cuba, Australia, Europe, Central South America. In fact, Cuba was the most thoroughly organized island in the Caribbean for Garvey. Puerto Rico had chapters of Garvey. Back then, the whole African world said we are African and we are proud of it. And the beauty of Garvey is he never took a dollar from another race. All those black star line steamships, the universities, the factories, all of that, the Garvey military was built with 100% black pennies. And Garvey 
was the only leader since Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington to build an organization, and he did not have to use a religion. Everybody after Garvey had to give you Islam. They had to give you Christianity. They had to make up a religion. Garvey is the only one who had the strength and the vision to keep religion out of it. And look what he did. Nobody before and nobody since has done what Mosiah did for Africans. Is, is, is that a big part of the reason why Garvey isn't really in the African-American Museum? He's in there. I they have him and Elijah small. Muhammad squeezed in yeah, a corner. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. Like <laughs> a little... but, but Thomas Jefferson yeah. is on the slavery exhibit. Gigantic statue up on the... Now, mind you, this is about slavery now. And you have a man who owned over 400, who was a sexual pedophile, used to sexually molest a little black girl, Sally Emmicks, was so infatuated with this little black girl that he would take her on tour with him to Europe so he could molest her over there. But of course, American historians like to remix history and say it was a love affair. How can a 12-year-old girl have a love affair with a 45-year-old man? That's impossible. But the point that I'm making is in that museum, in my opinion, and some of the scholars take issue with me and I don't care. First of all, the Smithsonian has never been in front of black folks. Remember, it was the same Smithsonian that took a black boy from Central Africa by the name of Adabenga and paraded him around in the zoo. Right. And it wasn't until the black churches got together and forced the Brooklyn Zoo to take him out the cage with the gorillas and he committed suicide. That's the Smithsonian. So I'm not surprised that the Smithsonian got a big statue of Thomas Jefferson in the slavery exhibit. But Marcus Garvey and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Honorable Marcus Garvey got a little picture that you might miss if you're not paying attention. Th that's what I was told. And no statue for Harriet Tubman, but Serena and Venus got a big one. No disrespect to them. You see, but there's no statue of Frederick Douglass, but... Uh, LeBron James got a big screen TV with all his dunks and slam dunks and Michael Jordan got a platinum statue, but there's no statue for Ida B. Wells or Fannie Lou Hamer. Is that a museum of African-American history and culture or is it a museum of African-American celebrity and coonism? I'm not sure. Now, who we're going to get, we're going to start with Garvey and come mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. to these celebrities that's put on the forefront. Who undermined Garvey? Was it Robert Moton? It was Robert Moton, we learned later, was a United States Army undercover agent who was sent to Tuskegee to spy on the Honorable Booker T. Washington because contrary to public belief, Booker T. was not a coon. Booker T. said what he needed to say in front of the white man and did what he needed to do in back of the white man. Booker T. Washington had the International Conference on the Negro before Garvey. He had the International Conference on the Negro before W.E.B. Du Bois Pan-African Conferences. Booker T. Washington used Tuskegee Institute as a hideout for black revolutionaries. If you was on a run from the Klan or the government and you couldn't find nowhere to hide out, guess what? You could hide at Tuskegee. And that's why they sent R.R. Moten in. Why would you send an agent to spy on a coon? You don't send agents to spy on coons. You send agents to spy on real, authentic race men. Booker T. Washington paid for civil rights struggles out of his pocket without the white men who financed Tuskegee not even knowing that. So we got to do our history on these great men and not just because we hear something, run with it, uh-uh, study him. Booker T. was one of the greatest black men we ever had. Why you think Garvey came to America in the first place? To meet with Booker T. Because Booker T. was a Pan-Africanist even before Garvey. Booker T. helped publicize and advertise the first Pan-African Conference of 1900. 
He was doing Garvey before Garvey had a chance to take it to the level that Garvey took it to. But it was W.E.B. Du Bois, who I do have respect for. I visited his grave and office in Ghana last week. I respect Dr. Du Bois for the work he did. But that does not take away from the fact that he, because of his bourgeoisie mentality, destroyed the greatest black movement we had. It was W.E.B. Du Bois working for the United States government that almost single-handedly undermined everything Marcus Garvey tried to do. He was not alone. Another great black man, A. Philip Randolph, who organized the Sleeping Car Porters Union, he hated Garvey. And why did they hate Garvey? Because they couldn't understand how a Jamaican-born African, you're not even from here, and you show up on 125th and 5th, and you're able to organize black people better than any other leader we've seen since Douglas. Remember, W.E.B. Du Bois had to wait for Frederick Douglass to pass on. He had to wait for Booker T. to pass on. So when them, when them two giants cleared the air, Booker T., excuse me, Du Bois said, I'm next. I'm from Harvard. I'm from Fisk. <laughs> I studied in Berlin. I'm half white. I should be the leader of black America. And right before he stepped up, a short, black, pudgy, black man got off the banana boat from Jamaica and said, up, you mighty race. You can accomplish what you will. And he stole all of W.E.B. Du Bois' shine. And W.E.B. Du Bois never forgave Garvey for stepping into the leadership vacuum that he himself couldn't fill. He apologized later. He wrote a letter to Queen Mother Amy Jakes Garvey, and he said, I'm sorry for what I did to your husband. In retrospect, it was wrong, but the damage was already done. And then after he got Garvey kicked out of America, he started preaching Garveyism. And guess what? At the end of his years, W.E.B. Du Bois denounced, renounced his U.S. citizenship, moved to Ghana at the invitation of Kwame Nkrumah, another Garveyite who studied in Philadelphia, and he died in Ghana, a Ghanaian citizen, not a U.S. citizen. But look at the irony. He was old enough to be Garvey's father. He was old enough to be Garvey's father, but Garvey knew at 30 when it took Harvard-trained Du Bois to learn that almost 100 years later, he was, you can't he, change white folks. He was Harvard indoctrinated. Harvard indoctrinated. Yeah. And that's why I love Dr. Carter G. Woodson, <laughs> Miseducation of the Negro. Mm -hmm. We visited his house yesterday. Carter G. Woodson was also Harvard. And he was the first black person to get a doctor from Harvard whose parents were born into slavery. But guess what? There's another black man who should have been the first one with a Ph.D. from Harvard. It ain't Woodson. It ain't Du Bois. It's Martin Delaney. The grandfather of Pan-Africanism. Do you know that in the 1800s during slavery, Martin Delaney was accepted into Harvard Medical School during slavery? And they kicked him out because the white students said, we will not go to class if you don't get this in out of here. And they protested Martin Delaney. And that's why the father of revolutionary Pan-African nationalism never got his Ph.D. from Harvard first. Remember, he said Africa for the Africans. It was Garvey who borrowed Martin Delaney's words and added Africa for the Africans, those at home and those abroad. You know, back to Robert Moulton briefly. Mm -hmm. Just to substantiate some of your claims about government conspiracies Army against agent, the black man. intelligence officer. Yeah, but he's also the one who oversaw the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Is that Ooh, not, I know? don't know, but I need yes. to check into that. I didn't know that. And that experiment actually didn't end until the early 70s. Yes. You know? Yeah. And that's an experiment where black people were infected with syphilis. Oh, yeah. Knowingly? And no, unknowingly. Well, 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 they told him it was a yeah, uh, vaccination. It, it was unknowingly to mm -hmm. them, but knowingly, knowingly to the, the complicity government. of the administration, Moton mm -hmm. and his people mm -hmm. at, at Tuskegee. Absolutely. And yeah. the government still experimenting on black folks. Why do you think they have all these prisons? 
because prisoners are the most convenient route to human research monkeys where you don't have to worry about the human rights groups coming in to fight for them. Think about it. You in prison. You got 20 years to do. Nobody coming to visit you. You ain't got no money on your books. If you work in the prison, you get 70 cents an hour. But then you have a research company come up to you and say, we're working on some new medication. We don't know what the side effects are, but we don't think it's going to be anything. We're going to give you $1,000 a month. All you got to do is take this pill. What do you think them brothers are going to do? What do you think them sisters are going to do? And this is why I tell Africans who have loved ones in prison, go visit them. Go see them. Because if they don't see you and they start losing hope and they become despondent, they will sign on to those research experiments where they sign a waiver that if this does harm you, you can never sue us ever again. I'll give you two big research experiments they're doing on black folks right now. One is the MMR vaccination, measles, mumps, and rebellion. It is causing autism in black boys. This has been validated and proven and even research whistleblowers from the Center for Disease Control have authenticated that it is the MMR vaccination that's triggering autism in black boys, research monkeys. And research monkeys number two is ADHD. Isn't it amazing that most black men in prison are in there for nonviolent drug-related offenses, right? But the same drug that's sending black men to jail for 10, 20, 50 years, they're calling it Ritalin. They're calling it Adderall. They're calling it Concerta. They're calling it Metadate. They're calling it Cycler. And they're, sending, and they're sending it into the public schools and giving it to black boys so they can sit still long enough to be miseducated by middle-class white women who can give a damn whether they learn or not. The ADHD conspiracy against black boys is a modern-day Tuskegee syphilis experiment. And the side effects of these drugs that they give our boys for so-called attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is nothing but ain't no daddy at home disorder, or it's nothing but artificial diet at home disorder, or it's nothing but ain't no discipline at home disorder. They're making $30 billion a year while they destroy the mental of black boys. They erode their ability to have children. They cause tick disorders, psychosis, schizophrenia, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, organ failure. In fact, most of the drugs they give our boys for ADHD cannot legally be prescribed in most European nations because of its toxicity. So when you talk about Tuskegee, it ain't over. They never stopped Tuskegee. They just transformed it into the autism vaccination conspiracy and the ADHD hustle against black boys. Speak, speaking of black boys, I know you, um, you're working on opening a school for black yes, boys. Yes, sir. And I, I'm presuming that part of the, your motivation for this is not strictly educational, mm -hmm. but to rebuild the black man. To rebuild the black man and rebuild the black race to take us back to where we be. What is where we used to be? What is the most important job of a school? Is it to educate? No, it is not. Education is not the primary function of a school. The primary function of a school is socialization, which is the teaching of those students how to function together as a unit for the best interest of the community. Let me give you an example. Black people go to college. We have all these degrees, right? But were we socialized to work with each other? Were we socialized 
to build the black community? Were we socialized to trust one another? Not at all. We were socialized to honor America. We were socialized to value what America valued. We were socialized to work for white folks. We were never socialized for our own best interests. The purpose of the Frederick Douglass, my kin, and the Honorable Marcus Garvey, RBG International Leadership Academy, is to build unapologetically African alpha males who are trained and skilled in every area necessary to build independent communities and nations. I want my graduates to be able to go anywhere in the African world and build nation. That means family, that means army, that means supermarket, hospital, school, and bank. Because the four central institutions of an independent community is the school to teach and prepare the life, the hospital to protect and save the life, the supermarket to feed and sustain the life, and the bank to grow the lives of the people. Without those four institutions, you don't have a community. And although we are a $2 trillion people, the richest group of Africans in the world, the 10th richest nation on the globe, you can't go anywhere in black America. $2 trillion. You can't go anywhere in this country. You can't name a black community in the United States where you see an independently owned bank, an independently owned school, an independently owned supermarket, and an independently owned hospital. We have no independence. And that's why we're the laughing stock of this country. Are, are those um, leading contributors to the feminization of the black male? Is it by design? Or what, what, what's really going on? Because I, I see a lot of, you take Black Lives Matter, for instance. The face of Black Lives Matter was an openly gay yes. black man, D. Ray McKesson. Mm -hmm. um, again, turn on CNN. I don't think they have a straight black man that mm -hmm. works on CNN. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be this, this trend where the people who are selected mm -hmm. to be our voice mm -hmm. are either LGBT, interracial mulattoes or whatever, or in interracial relationships. I'm talking about Van Jones. Uh, mm -hmm. and, yo, White wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shannon Sharp. A lot of people in sports. A lot of people in sports. I was hurt with Shannon because I really appreciated the way Shannon stood up and stood out and spoke out during the Colin Kaepernick ordeal. And when I found out that Shannon Sharp was, at least at that time, engaged to a white woman, it crushed me. Because I said, here's a brother who's on point. But then it made sense to me. That's the only reason why he in that chair across from Skip. Well, you know, because look, he got that white woman at home. No, everyone that I see in the spot, not they everyone. They are compromised so, in some way. It, Either they're, they're in interracial relationships. Why is it? Why, why do we not have the strong black man? Because there's a war against the black family. America has already tried to destroy the black male. America has tried to destroy the black female. America has tried to destroy the black child. Now, America has come to a maturity in their genocidal campaign where they now want to destroy the black family as a unit. That's why when you look at all of the new shows on television today, they're homosexual or biracial. Look at all the commercials you see on TV, homosexual or biracial. When is the last time you saw a richly melanated black man and black woman with richly melanated black children on a show or a commercial? You don't see them. Let's take Empire. And I just ran into Jesse Smollett in uh, Harlem two weeks and, ago. And he's biracial and, and homosexual. homosexual. So he checks all the boxes. Yeah. So you take Empire. You got four leading black male actors in the number one miniseries in recent American history. 
You got Lucius, Andre, Hakeem, and Jamal. Lucius, you got a narcissistic black male from Philadelphia. Don't trust his baby mom. Exploits, uses women. Don't really like women, except for sex and to use them. Then you got his oldest son, Andre. Ivy League trained, accountant, white wife. Then you got his next son, which is Jamal, homosexual, in love with a white male. Then you got his youngest son, Hakeem, hip-hop head, heterosexual, doesn't trust women, uses, abuses, and exploits. How can you have four attractive, leading black male actors in the number one miniseries on TV and not a single one has a positive and healthy relationship with a black woman? You know why? Because they are socializing and indoctrinating our children. Empire ain't for you and me. We know better. Empire for our 12-year-olds. Empire for our 14-year-olds. Because if my 17-year-old daughter looks at that, she would ask herself, why would I ever want to be with a black man after watching this? And if my nephew, okay, who's 12, 13, looks at Empire and looks at the way the women conduct themselves and carry themselves, why would he ever want to be with a black woman? These shows are political, designed to brainwash black children against authentic black love. Were you aware that the creator of Empire, Lee Daniels, is a black male homosexual? Oh, not in, only that. In a relationship with a white man. Not only that, Lee Daniels has a movie coming out called Pimp, I think it is, starring Kiki Palmer, who is a lesbian pimp. And he's working on the first black homosexual superhero character. Now, as I said before, I love all black folks. I can sit down and talk to gay, lesbian, it don't make a difference to me. Because I'm here to make you understand, overstand, and understand what's being done to us. But here's my question to Lee Daniels or anyone else. And I've never gotten an answer back yet. I've never gotten an answer. My question is real simple. How does the promotion of interracial or homosexual lifestyles benefit the black community? I've been asking that question for 20 years. I haven't had anyone answer it yet. You know why? Because there is no answer. If you care about we, there's no way you can be about that. You know, Lee Daniels also did Precious. Yes. Another black exploitation rendition of the worst aspects of black behavior in contemporary American society. Here's my thing. We do have some of that in our community. But so do European Jews, so do Italians, so do Latinos, so do Mexicans, so do Arabs and East Indians. My issue with these precious movies and the Tyler Perry movies is that every time y'all make a movie, y'all only show us at our worst. White folks also have this. Degeneracy is not the exclusive prerogative of any one group of people. But when it comes to black people, 85% of how they show us and show business is negative and filled with these images. With white folks, you see some of that, but 85% of what you see from white folks, they're the doctors, they're the lawyers, they're the business owners, and most of all, they're the saviors. Well, at least they have diversity. They have diversity yeah. in presentation. That's right. There's no diversity in the presentation of black folks. None and why is that? From a propaganda perspective, what? You must kill the image of the black male before you kill the black male. If you study Adolf Hitler's campaign against the European Jews, which was an atrocity, he committed an assassination of the image of the Jew in the German mind before he carried out the human extermination. That's what America is doing. But what is the difference between 
the extermination of the black man's image in America and the extermination of the European Jew's image in Germany. You know what the difference is? The difference is the European Jew did not participate in the extermination of his own public image. The black man is participating and financing the extermination of his own public image. Look at hip hop. That is the extermination of the black male's image. Look at the Tyler Perry movies, the Lee Daniel shows. Look at the reality shows of black women where they show our women as thirsty, sexually uncontrolled, masculine, and undesirable. But here's the thing, Baba. We are volunteering. We are complicit in to our own destruction. To destroy our own destruction. And that's, that was my next statement to you or question. Why, with all their money, are the LeBron Jameses and the Jay-Zs and everybody else partaking in this? Do they not have a choice? Are they compromised in some way that they have to go along with this? Are they sadistic? Is it is it self-hatred? Mm -hmm. Is it all of the above? Because what I, what I don't understand is why are the people we celebrate the most among ourselves, the black people we celebrate the most, seemingly the most weaponized against us. Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, greatest African psychiatrist in modern history from this city said, if you don't understand white supremacy, what it is and how it operates, nothing else will make sense to you in this society. The reason why those who are least interested in helping us fix our problem are the most celebrated is because they are the ones that are put out in front of our children to be celebrated. If you were not loyal to black people before you got rich, you definitely will not be loyal to black people after you get rich. But let's go further. During slavery, when a rebellious slave misbehaved, what would they do? They would put him out in front of all the slaves and they would whip him and tar and feather him and lynch him as a message to the others. Every generation, white America, makes a sacrifice of a black celebrity. Look at your entire life. I've been on the planet 45 years. Every generation of my life, every decade, white America finds a celebrity that they put out and destroy them as a reminder to LeBron and Oprah and Lee Daniels and Tyler Perry and everyone else. Jay-Z, Beyonce, don't forget, you might be a billionaire, but remember who helped you make that money. At the end of the day, y'all got the money, but we got the power. That's why they don't mind signing a $100 million contract. Because everybody in your circle is white. Your agent is white. Your lawyer is white. Your publicist is your white. Your advisor. banker is white. The person selling you the car is white. So do you know what a black celebrity really is? He's a water sprinkler. He's a redistributor of white wealth. Because you can't use that money to help your own people. The reason they don't help us is because the white man has made it clear. Number one, white people will not support black people who are loyal to black folks. You cannot become a popular celebrity in America if you are unapologetic. It's impossible. You must do what? Compromise yourself in the presence of white folk. You must be an acceptable Negro. If you are not an acceptable Negro, they will destroy you. I like LeBron James. And I see he got some black manhood in him, but he's trying to navigate this in his final years because he's concerned about what his public memory and image will be after he retires. Oprah's doing the same thing. You see, they want to help, but they know white folks don't value black people who know they black and want to help black people. That's a crime in America, being loyal to black. You can't be rich 
and be loyal to black folks because you end up like Johnny Cochran, assassinated, so-called brain aneurysm. They murdered Johnny Cochran because he was investigating how much money America owes black people for slavery. First, he gets OJ off. Then he gets Geronimo Pratt of the Black Panther Party off for free, defended him for free. And then he says, I'm going to go into reparations and find out what America owes black folk. Black folks said, we can't let this Negro come out with no price. White folks said, we can't. They killed him. That's what they do. Look what they did to Bill Cosby. This is the number one black television star. Yeah. He is the father of black comedy. There were those before him, but in terms of opening the door to mainstream, Cosby was everything. He's sitting in a prison in Philadelphia right now. At 80-something years Legally old. blind. It takes two guards for him to eat, two guards for him to go to the bathroom, two guards for him to get dressed, two guards to help him in. This man is the number one black public personality in modern history, and look what they did to him, and they used white women to do it. What was his crime? His crime, technically... What he was charged with. No, I know what he was charged with, but what was his crime to make him be a target for destruction? He wanted to buy a major network. Last time he tried to do it, they killed his son on the side of the road. Bill Cosby re-upped because he's a billionaire. He said, I'm going to get one of these networks before I die. And they said, no, you're not. So they found those white women to come. First of all, you're the number one black TV star in America, 1970s. You sexually harass a white woman. She benefits from white privilege. You suffer from white racism. What white woman do you know if you sexually harassed her in this building today is going to wait 40 years to tell on you? She's going to tell on you right now and destroy you right now. Bill Cosby didn't do nothing wrong. Everybody knows in Hollywood they use sex and drugs. Yeah, he gave them pills. You know why? Because they wanted the pills. Because that's I've, what they I've do. I said that myself. He sexually harassed you, but yet you kept on calling him? You kept on seeing him? You went to his house when his wife wasn't there, to his hotel rooms and all that. Yeah, the I, Bill I, I know. Cosby Crucible is a good message to black men who love white girls. They can sex you. They can marry you. They can have your babies. They can take care of you. But when they get that phone call from that white male and say, it's now time for you to do a job for your people, they will gladly do it. See, one of the problems we have as black people, we fail to realize that racism is not personal. Racism is business. See, black people will have a white friend and say, well, those are my white friends. Okay, they may be. But you need to understand something. Those may be your friends, but they have a loyalty and an obligation to being white before they are the friend of a black person. And if they have to do something to you in order to look out for the best interests of white power and white control, they will do it. They will gladly sacrifice your friendship to help white people achieve their agenda, as those white women did to Bill Cosby. Now, go, Robert Moton, mm -hmm. just to, to rehash, yes, to wrap up, Robert Moton was allegedly part of the Boule mm -hmm. Secret he Society. Was. You Which know? was founded in Philadelphia. Yes. In, in and allegedly there's a quote circulating saying that W.E.B. Du Bois, who I believe was a founding member of uh, what was the Phi Sigma Pi, mm -hmm. the Boule, he said, quote, and I still have to find the reference, but this is what's circulating. That W.E.B. Du Bois said, quote, the boule was started to keep the educated black man away from the Honorable Marcus Garvey. Well, and you know, and I, in, in my last episode, I discussed the boule to some degree because it's important. It's important that people understand. The black bourgeoisie. The, the black bourgeoisie and their role is oh, to yes. really keep oh, the gatekeeper. The, they're the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. Yes. And they've been traditionally recruited Woo. through the HBCUs yes. and so on and so forth. And Howard University, which we love, mm -hmm. is the number one recruiting site 
for black agents of the FBI. That's a documented fact. You, you know, and, and I, me personally, I believe this is why Roland Martin came out against Wendy Williams when she said there was no more need for the for the And HBCU. he's also boule. He said it himself on mm -hmm. The Breakfast Club that mm -hmm. he's boule. Yeah. I've had many interactions with him. Oh, yeah, he's a proud boule. Oh, yeah, proud. And that's why he tried to come against me on the show I did with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but to me... He can't be a high-ranking boule, or he no, wouldn't no, even no, be no. advertising. He wouldn't be advertising. He's a step-and-fetching yeah, boule. Yeah. But, but, but again. No neck, boy. <laughs> but, but it shifted from those type of educated black people to the celebrities now. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I, I, I think they're obsolete in this day and era. You make me. a good point. You know, you because, make a good point. Because there's not enough black, there's not enough black professionals to hold the attention of blacks in the ghetto and in the underclass. So now the black boule has become the black celebrity class. That's it. So that you know what that means, and though. They don't need that education. Means They're even yes. dumber. They're even dumber. Yes. Not, not, not to indict but do you know what that in means? particular. Yeah. That means we're going to have to take on the rappers. Of course. We're going to have to take on the football players. I'm we're already gonna have to doing take it. On, yes. <laughs> but, but see, our youth don't have the political maturity to see <laughs> yeah. that the same person whose music you're listening to, you're famous, your favorite basketball player is now the gatekeeper for white power. He's the one that's going to co-sign and silently defend police genocide. Did you even know that LeBron has the Le, uh, the boule tattoo on his chest? I I heard that and I've never got a good look at pull, it to confirm it. it. It does it's look similar. It's not identical. It's like 90% there. Here's it's the thing. Though. Here's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> In his defense, I don't know yeah. if he knew or was conscious that that was the boule symbol when he got it. Okay. I'm going to give him I'm going to give him that. We, we, we gonna, gonna we're going to give him that, but yeah. again, I believe that the celebrities are the new boule. Oh, they are. And they are no it's yes. no longer required. To join a fraternity, yes. sorority, you ain't got to have a college, college degree. Yes, and 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 and, and as bad as the boule were, at least some of them were educated. Yes. and at some point, some kind of their they conscience did some kid, good. They did these new <laughs> boule. <laughs> they 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 can't even do that. And, and why did they transition from the educated boule to the ghetto celebrity boule? Because the economic current of America destroyed the black middle class. There is no more black middle class. There's haves and have nots. So where is the new boule going to come from? Where that new crop going to come from? Because you destroyed the black middle class. It's only haves and have nots. You're either rich or you working. That's it. Ain't no middle class. So they automatically had to go to the celebrities because the celebrities got the money, the status that they don't want to lose. So in many respects, the celebrities are a better boule than the black Oh, they're more influential. More influential? Because, uh, uh, one, one Less J educated? Look, one Jay-Z has the influence of maybe 2,000 archons from, from the I past. will say this. Yeah. I think Mr. Carter is trying to get some things done, but he has to be careful because of where he sits. I'm watching him. I'm hoping that's And the I case. see more from him than I see from some others who don't even have half of his wealth. Now, I didn't appreciate the NFL deal. But I'm not going to jump in and criticize him too quickly because I don't know if this is a maneuver for him to become an owner and potentially rehire Colin Kaepernick. So I want to watch and see what he's doing. I don't know if that's it, but I want to postpone judgment until I see what the strategy was. You know, I, I believe that a, um, a blessing and a curse are one and the same, the difference being mm. in the application. Yes. Right? And, yes. and and, and that, that's something I came to the conclusion of after reading The Art of War. Mm. Right? So to me, 
when I say somebody's a boule or this, that, the other, it doesn't mean that I won't deal with them. Right. It simply means right. I know how to deal with there them. There you go, strategy. Yeah, because everybody that I interact with is not going to be on the same page with right. me. And, and they don't have to be. They don't. As long how as can a, I use this person to yeah, further the agenda of black liberation? That, that's Period. Right, that's right. It ain't got to be personal or none of that. I need to go through this. I've had people who said, why did you go on The Breakfast Club? Mm-hmm. They're not progressive. And I don't necessarily agree with that all the time. I, the reason I go on The Breakfast Club, because my message needs to be heard by everybody. And they have access. Why did you go on Vlad? Because my message needs, why was you on Time Joiner? Why was you on Roland Martin? Because my message needs to be heard by everybody. And if they have access, I'll go on a Ku Klux Klan radio station if they invite me, because guess what? There might be somebody black listening to that who got some resources I need in order to further my agenda to help our children. We, As you say, it's the strategy that must be evaluated, mm-hmm. not the behavior. Correct. Correct. You know, and that, that brings something to mind. Uh, masculine men such as yourself, such as myself, masculine black men mm-hmm. in particular, seem to be uh, excluded. Oh, yes. Access to mainstream platforms. Oh, yes. Um, you know, I could turn on the television and, and, and not to harp on Don Lemon or, mm-hmm. or Lee Daniels. Mm-hmm. I see Dwayne Wade with his son mm-hmm. at a pride parade. His son is, I believe, like 12 years old or something like that. Yeah. I mean, what what are we doing here? What message are these celebrity tools I call them bootlickers because they just got to know that what they're doing is wrong and causing more damage. Why? If you got to I've get, always been a fan of Dwayne Wade. But mm-hmm. when that happened, coming from a, I'm a certified school psychologist. My mm-hmm. doctorate is clinical psychology. His son is 12. That is pre-puberty puberty. That is the age when you start finding yourself attracted to girls. But for the life of me, I'm trying to understand how an 11, 12-year-old black boy is already certain that he's gay. That is not a natural human phenomenon. Not, how, how can your son be certain mm-hmm. at 12 that he's gay? You know, that's a conversation I would love to have with Dwayne Wade. The age confuses me. Now, if he was 17, that's 16, different. that's different. 11 and 12, he don't even have a fixed identity yet. Your personality isn't even fixed at 12. How can you be certain you're gay? What in the hell is going on here? You see, what I, what, I, what I see in this is an attempt to take personal, private matters and use it to promote oh. something else. Oh. And that's where I oh. hold Dwayne and, 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 and Gabriel Union and any other adult mm-hmm. involved in this. Because if you have a son or daughter who's struggling with their sexuality, that is a personal family matter. And y'all deal with it privately. The reason but it's being turned into with... a marketing strategy. I now and I'm why, at you differently. The you question is why. Mm. Okay, we had dinner last night at U Street. I teach a class on Pan Africanism. Last class was Garvey's birthday yesterday. We chose DC so we could visit Frederick Douglass House, Carter G. Wilson House, Benjamin Banneker House, African American Civil War Museum. As we walking down the street, one of the brothers was telling me that Dot, these stores were forced to hang up the LBGT flag because if they did not hang it up, 
the LBGTs will boycott the store and then nobody would want to go in there and shop because everybody's intimidated by the LBGT's organized power. A lot of people are going along with it who may not even agree with it because they're afraid to stand up against it. That don't justify it because I'm not compromising my principles for nobody. But the point that I'm making is that the LBGT army, which is also a CIA creation, this campaign is, okay, your orientation may not be a CIA creation, but the campaign to promote it is, is so powerful now that it is dictating the black community and how we act and react. Look at the black church. 50 years ago, you couldn't find a black church that co-signed that. Now, show me one that's against it. You could hardly find it. And do you know why? Because if you are a tax-exempt organization and you are getting federal funds and you say you don't support this, they will cut your money. It is about money. And unfortunately, we care more about our pocket than our principles. So everybody black who's trying to get paid is co-signing that even though it's working against the community because they don't want to stop the cash flow. So, again... It comes back to economics like God said. We are economic. economically compromised. Dependent. Yes. Yes. Big time. And because of that, we can be persuaded to be anything, anything people they want, want us, us to, be. to be. Which is why until you're economically independent, every black person in America is a potential agent. Because if the government comes to you and say, listen, I will take away your ability to feed your family if you don't go destabilize Dr. Umar's movement. I will take away your ability to feed your family if you don't go destabilize Minister Farrakhan or whoever else is out working in the community. What you going to do? Are you that committed to the struggle where you're going to go and tell your wife and kids we might have to go into the homeless shelter because I refuse to compromise my values? No, you're not. You're going to go ahead and do what they tell you to do. We're never free unless you're economically free. And on that note, Brother Uma, thank you so thank much. You, oh, man, it was What's a pleasure. Uh, woo! Yeah! Man, this job.